0: Would you please take your Bibles? Let's rise to our feet this morning for the hearing and reading of God's word. Acts 14. Acts 14, verses 1 through 7. Beloved, this is the word of God. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we do come before you now in our need to hear your word, to recognize the voice of our Master speaking therein, to recognize the authority of God therein. We pray that you would help us. We pray that your Holy Spirit, like a good plowman, would come among us and break up the fallow ground of our hearts. And Lord, make our hearts good, like a good soil, to receive your good word. We pray that your spirit, Father, would grant us to receive it meekly, implanted, taking root, bearing fruit to your praise, to your honor, to your glory as we believe and obey. Oh, Father, come to us today. Help our sons. Help our daughters Help young and help old. Help those new in the faith and those old in the faith. Oh, Lord, give us the freshness of the living God and the things of God. Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> How do you know when you go to church you are hearing what you should be hearing? How do you know when you go home and intend to speak as a Christian you are speaking what Christians should speak about? How do you know when you go into the world and dare to speak for God that you are actually speaking what God wants spoken? And how do you know when you are alone feeding On your secret thoughts, that you are actually feeding on that which is true. All these questions are answered in our passage this morning in one simple statement. It is found in verse 3 when it says, The Lord bore witness to the word of his grace by granting signs and wonders to be done by the apostles. The Lord Jesus Christ, from his throne in heaven, at the right hand of God, granted miracles. Miracles to be done by the apostles in the city of Iconium. Jesus did this not to amaze men with miracles. Our text says why he did it. He did this to bear witness from heaven that the message of his apostles called the word of his grace was the message the Lord himself approved, supported, endorsed, and honored. That's why there were miracles in Iconium. By bearing witness from heaven with miracles, our risen Lord means to embolden his church through all time, about the word of his grace. He means to make us confident, even stubborn, about the word of his grace. The word of his grace is to be elevated, it is to be set apart as the highest rank among all the words we could speak anywhere. Later in his ministry, Paul will say to church elders, In the city of Ephesus, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. That's Acts 20, verse 32. The word of his grace is what we should be hearing at church. It is what we should be speaking at home. It is what we should say out in the world. And it should be the main meal we feed on in our secret thoughts. But what is it? And what does it sound like? The answer to the first question, what is the word of his grace, is found in verse 7 of our text. When the persecution at Iconium was about to become and execution by stoning, Paul and Barnabas fled to a new city. But look at verse 7. It says, There they continued to preach the gospel. That is just another way of saying, There they continued to proclaim the word of his grace. The word of his grace is the gospel, and the gospel is the word of his grace. So whenever you hear the word gospel... You should not think it is just another word that means Bible. It doesn't. Even though there are four books called the Gospels at the beginning of the New Testament, the Gospel is not a, syn- a synonym for Bible. The Gospel is, of course, revealed in the Bible, but the Bible is not all Gospel. The Bible reveals both law and gospel and only one of those is the word of his grace the law is his word of obligation God's law tells you your duties what God requires of you and how you have failed to do what he requires of you and what penalties he now owes you because of your failures that's the law it is not the word of his grace in Romans 3.20, Paul will say, through the law comes knowledge of sin. In Romans 7.7, Paul will say, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. The law has a clear purpose, but it is not the word of his grace. God's gospel is not at all like his law. The gospel is a completely different kind of word from God. The gospel is his word of grace. It is not a word of obligation. It is a word of liberation. The gospel tells you what God has done for you in and through his son, Jesus Christ. The gospel announces how all your debts with God have been canceled at the expense of Christ's own blood. The gospel is God's gracious answer to those who deserve wrath, a wrath revealed in the law. Paul says in Romans 3.21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So back to our question, what is the word of his grace? It is the proclamation that those who are undeserving, now I think we need to fix that, those who are ill-deserving, deserving God's wrath, they have instead been given God's Son, and God's Son, Jesus, has put away all their sin by the sacrifice of himself on the cross. He died, he now lives forevermore to bring all who believe on him into his eternal glory, that is the word of his grace. It is this word Jesus bore witness to from heaven with miracles in Iconium. It is this word then that must be the greatest priority of the church, that must be the greatest proportion of our speech, that must be the greatest passion of our speech. Paul is never said to speak boldly about the law of God. He spoke about the law of God. But the modifier boldly is reserved for his speaking about the mysteries of the gospel in Jesus Christ. But let us understand. The word of his grace is a word about Jesus Christ. He is the his in the word of his grace. How could we miss that? But we do. And we quickly turn grace into a mathematical formula. The word of his grace is a word about Jesus. Which means his grace is not a word about a lifeless thing called grace. It is not about a lifeless concept or a lifeless idea called grace. In John 1.14, we read this, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Then just a few words later, John adds, For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This is a very good place to hear the wise words of Sinclair Ferguson. There isn't a thing, a substance, or a quasi-substance called grace, he says. All there is is the person of the Lord Jesus, Christ clothed in the gospel, as Calvin loved to put it. And then Ferguson adds, grace is the grace of Jesus. If I can highlight the thought here, there is no thing that Jesus takes from himself and then, as it were, hands over to me. There's only Jesus himself. We know nothing of grace until we know Jesus And knowing Jesus, we know everything of grace. The word of his grace is all the divine son being given to us. What did you bring to Christ, or excuse me, what did you do to bring Christ into the world? What did you do to bring Christ to the cross? What did you do to bring Christ out of his tomb? What did you do to bring Christ to his throne in heaven? The answer you give to those questions is the same answer to the next question. What did you do to open your eyes to the glory of Christ crucified and risen so that you might believe in him for eternal life? You did nothing. God did everything. He gave you Christ. He gave you the life of Christ that immediately became faith to you, faith in you, because Christ was given to you. Faith is a gift of Christ's own life, regenerating yours, so that you can see and grasp and embrace and cling to him it is all of grace this grace is a person and his work on your behalf that is the word of his grace now having established a little bit what the word of grace is what then does the word of grace sound like this is what it sounds like this is john chapter 3 john 316 John 3.17, and guess what comes next? You'll never guess. John 3.18. Beloved, this is what the word of his grace sounds like. As you hear this, ask yourself, is this what you sound like when you talk to your neighbors about your faith? When you engage the culture wars, is this what you sound like? when you talk to your children about what you most desire for them, is this what you sound like? Because this right here, irrefutable, is what the word of his grace sounds like. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The word of his grace sounds forth with the highest divinity the Father gave his Son. The word of his grace sounds forth with the wildest generosity, not to condemn, but to save, to have eternal life. The word of his grace sounds forth with the most intense urgency. Believe, 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 it says three times. The word of his grace sounds forth with the most grave severity. Men are condemned already. Men will perish to ignore it. And the word of his grace sounds forth with deeply personal peculiarity the name of the only begotten Son of God, Jesus. Because this is what the word of his grace sounds like, we can set in contrast what it does not sound like. The word of grace is not saying something vaguely generous about God that never mentions his son, that never speaks of the son's death. There is no such thing as grace from God that keeps the son out of the picture. The word of his grace is not saying, God loves you to everyone, without reference to the cost of his love. In the giving of his only begotten Son. The word of his grace is not saying, God forgives you to everyone, without reference to the sin and the Savior. The word of grace is not saying, You are so wicked and wrath waits you. The word of his grace is not saying, Change your ways and God will let you have nice things again. The word of his grace is not saying, watch out, communists are at the gate or inside the gate. Beloved, hear me. Please do hear me. It is, it is not easy to tell you what I'm about to tell you. But in the culture wars of the 21st century, there are, there's very little word of his grace being spoken. The culture war is mostly fought with words of his law. Just listen. It leaves men condemned. The church of Jesus Christ is not constrained and confined to a ministry of condemnation. That is the devil's business, his is the millstone ministry. We, of course, must declare and tell men the law of God. Why are they perishing? Why are they in danger with the living God? What are they ignorant of? But the word of his grace has a priority and a proportion and a passion because we know that the law cannot do what the word of his grace can do. The law will save no man. Just as a mirror can tell a man his face is dirty and needs to be shaved, but he cannot shave with the mirror. Now, some men may have tried, and they rest in their blood because the law kills when men seek justification by it. The word of his grace must be elevated to the highest rank among the words of his church. Why does Lord Jesus from heaven throw out miracles and wonders and signs in Iconium to confirm that they are saying the right words, to support, honor everything the apostles are declaring in proportion, priority, and passion, So what does the word of his grace sound like? I gave you one answer from John 3. Here's another. And here comes a hearing of what it sounds like when it is lodged deeply in the soul of a man. David Dixon, a Scottish churchman, professor of divinity, first at Glasgow and then Edinburgh, died in 1663 On his deathbed, he said these words to a dear visitor. I have taken all my good deeds and all my bad deeds and have cast them together in a heap before the Lord and have fled from both to Jesus Christ. And in him, I have sweet peace. That's what the word of his grace sounds like in the soul of a man on his deathbed. Now, these words from Dixon actually help us with one more question today that emerges from our text. How is it that there could be such hostility from the Jews of Iconium toward the word of Jesus' grace, their own Messiah, whom they do not recognize? Well, notice according to verse 2, it was the unbelieving Jews who stirred up the unbelieving Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the believing Jews. And notice, according to verse 4, there was a great division in the city, and the Jews were such major leaders on one side of that division that Luke actually says it was the Jews against the apostles. Verse 4, why are so many of the Jews hostile to the word of his grace? Maybe because it's the same reason you might be. On his deathbed, Dixon remarks, cut right to the truth of the matter, didn't they? While many of the Jews love their good deeds, far too much to cast them away in a heap and flee to Christ. The Jews wanted God to justify them by their works. Paul makes this explicit in Romans 4, verse 2. They wanted God to accept them and welcome them into his salvation based on their progress that they thought they had made in the works of the law. Paul also makes this explicit in his letter to the Galatians, which should be read as a companion to this seven-verse section of Acts 14, because Iconium was a city, no small city, but it was a city in the province of Galatia. And so later when Paul writes the letter to the Galatians and talks about the Galatian problem, he's talking about what has happened in this very city. In Galatians 6.12, Paul is speaking of Jews who reject salvation by grace alone, in Christ alone, by faith alone. He says of them, It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. They desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Two phrases there. They want to make a good showing and they want to boast in your flesh. The unbelieving Jews did not glory in God's grace. They gloried in their own works. And so they had a huge stake in keeping the word of his grace from being heard and from being believed among their own people and among the Gentiles. Can you imagine two men standing side by side? One is a Jewish man circumcised. He has the scroll of Isaiah under his arm. He has memorized 80% of that scroll. He can trace his lineage back to a tribe of Israel. He is clean with all the ceremonial cleansings required of a Jewish man. He has not touched meat that is forbidden by the law. Standing next to him is a Gentile with bacon bits in his beard dirt under his fingernails. He has heard and could recognize maybe three verses from the Hebrew scriptures. And Paul comes upon the scene proclaiming the word of his grace and this bacon-bit Gentile, Paul says, you now are heir of the world, the very promise God made to Abraham. You now are a child of the living God. You now are justified and fear no condemnation because by faith you have embraced the whole Christ. You now possess a whole salvation. You are reconciled to God. For that Jewish man to stand and hear that, his, his eyes would start twitching. He would start getting red and in a moment, he would tear his robes and pour ashes on his head while screaming to Paul, blasphemer, blasphemer, blasphemer. This uncircumcised Gentile, heir of the world with Abraham, blasphemy. And in the very rage, he skips right over Christ as if he could not see the glory of his own Messiah, as if he didn't even hear the name. They had a huge stake in keeping the word of his grace from being heard. Because if men could be fully reconciled to God, free and clear, beloved sons of God forever, if that could be all theirs through faith in Christ, then what would happen to Judaism? What would happen to all their law-keeping bank accounts, which they thought were fat and full? Can you imagine the fear of bankruptcy? You see, without the Spirit of God, no man could walk away from that. And without the Spirit of God, no man could see what that really was, an absolute impediment an obstacle to their salvation, because their bank account was not full at all. They blindly thought that they were keepers of the law simply because they were possessors of it. Beloved, there is a dark, innate human impulse to make God somehow indebted to us. It is at the center of all pagan religions and it was in the heart of many Jews. I suppose it is in the heart of many churchgoers. Robert Godfrey said very wisely, there is deep in the hearts of sinners a conviction that they do not want to acknowledge that they are utterly lost in sin and unable to help themselves. They do not want to have have to acknowledge that they can do nothing to help themselves. They do not want to acknowledge that Christ alone has done everything for their salvation. Close quote. Have you ever bumped up against this in your own heart? I know it in my own. Beloved, remember, it is because of grace that we meet people who are more mature Christians than us even though they have not been Christians as long as us, even though they are not as educated as us, even though they are not as organized as us, even though they are not as fit as us, at good at managing money as us, we meet these Christians and they glory and grace so much more than us. They have a maturity beyond their years in the faith. And we will either adore the glory they adore or we will rage against them. You see, this is exactly what Paul said to the elders at Ephesus. I shared this verse with you earlier. When he left them, he said, Now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Beloved, these are the words that we should be speaking and hearing and hungering for in priority, proportion, and passion. So what explains in these seven verses at Iconium? What explains all the believing and the unbelieving there? What explains all the turmoil and the intrigue there? All the hostility and the rage? What explains this mess you know? It's verse 3. The word of his grace explains it. The word of his grace is dividing the world. The word of his grace is upsetting families. Read Matthew 10, where our Lord said it is his will to do so. The word of his grace is bringing turmoil on the earth, but peace between God and men who believe in his Son. Let us pray. <clears throat> Father, we, we pray that we would join the confidence of the apostles, Paul and Barnabas in this case, and continue wherever we go to proclaim the word of his grace. We pray that it would be so frequent and loud in our own soul That when we come to our deathbed, we, with great sincerity, can speak like Brother Dixon and cast all our good deeds and our bad deeds in a heap and flee from both to Jesus Christ. Because the word of his grace is shining bright. Father, we pray. That you would keep us in priority, proportion, and passion for this word of his grace. That we would chasten ourselves, that we would bite our tongues, that we would grow in skill and wisdom to speak more and more clearly of Jesus Christ so that we do not suffer the error of the Galatians. Father, we do pray that even this hour, that if there is anyone here who is not believed upon the word of his grace, that they would see the hostility of these unbelieving Jews and Greeks, that they would see that their true family is those who oppose Christ, who would have him silenced and shut down and not named among men. Father, we pray that if there are any here who have yet to believe that even this hostility would be defeated by the word of his grace, that they would discover that they are the very sinners that Jesus Christ has come to save by his own work and person. Help us, Lord, we pray. Hold us firm and fast in the things that are true. In the word of his grace, amen.